It is the eve of Thanksgiving, and the gift that we are giving to you is Pals Pulls. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've got Marco. Cuckoo! Tyler. Is that Birdman? Hello. What happened to that boy? And, of boy. course, I'm Sean. Uh, we are not joined by Kale today. Kale has, you know, a whole other uh, situation going on and a whole other side of the world. Walkabout. Uh, yeah. Wait, <laughs> is he really on a walkabout? I don't know. Oh. Well, he's he's someplace where God watches now, so got to be careful. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we've got five. Count them. Five oh. of the week's biggest books to talk about. We've got Wonder Woman number three with more sovereign speak. We've got Jason Aaron's first Batman story ever with Batman Offworld number one. Andy Samberg's first comic book ever. He took top billing on this, by the way, on the Holy Roller number one uh, by Andy with Andy Samberg uh, and a few other people. Um, Immortal X Men number seventeen. Hopefully, we're getting out of the white hot room. And uh, the Incredible Hulk number six. Thought we'd uh, thought we'd check in with Hulk and see what's going on with this uh, with this series. So, hello, welcome to the show. Hello to the live chat. Thank you for joining us. Hello to you wherever you are, uh, whenever you're hearing us. Thank you for joining us. Before we get to consume our Thanksgiving meals, we've got to tell you what we thought of the books that we consumed this week. So let's get into Wonder Woman number three. This is, of course, written by Tom King with. Art by Daniel Semper, colors by Tamu Moray, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Now, I have not been too hot on this book so far. I just haven't really been picking up what Tom King's been putting down. I think on the art front, it's been just a, a feast. Uh, but the story and the script overall has left something to be desired for me. This issue, though, I actually really liked. Yeah, I think we're finally getting uh, a peek into the larger narrative here as to what's going on. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was I was down on this issue. Um, I, I had fun last issue. And I know that was the one that kind of took it a bit slower and did did other things. Um, but this one I was uh, not as concerned with. I it, it took me through from point A to point B. And I don't feel like I got a lot from it okay all right uh real quick uh thank you christian he's uh christian one of our uh one of our uh channel members says that opening track hits harder than an andre 3000 album that's funny and Flo dameron says thankful for the comics pals thankful for you guys so with wonder woman uh with this with this issue Wonder Woman is trying to go and pay a visit to what's his name, Sergeant Steel, um, and find out what it is that he has learned about this Amazon that has, you know, uh, committed this these murders that have set everything on set everything on its head, and it turns out it's a big trap for her. Which can you really trap Wonder Woman? Yeah, I I did like that as like the framework. You know, you just let her let her walk in when realistically, whatever you would have gotten ready, she would have walked in. So I thought that was fun. Yeah, I, I liked how um, 
collected in column it showed Diana being. Like, it doesn't matter that they have this army that is uh, uh, supposedly equipped to take down Superman. Um, she doesn't care. Like, it doesn't, it's not going to stop her if she has something that she needs to do. Uh, she is a force of nature. Um, but not in the same sense that, you know, every other time you see Wonder Woman, like in the previous issue, she was, she was a force of nature. Here, she just walks around. I don't even think she breaks a sweat in this. Um, which I really enjoyed. Cool, calm, and collected. Loved it. There's a certain naivete that some writers bring to Wonder Woman where she's kind of just like this happy-go-lucky, you know, woman who's going about her business. And I love that because it's kind of cute, but she's also completely unstoppable, right? Like, no one is going to stop her from getting to this room. You know, she's doing this all very, very casually. She beats that crap out of that guy in the elevator with the elevator music going, and she just doesn't have a care in the world. You know, um, she throws her her uh, tiara, and we don't really get to see much of the damage that it's causing, but it's just wrecking these uh, these soldiers that are trying to keep her from getting to her destination. And the ease with which she is dispatching these people over the course of really two to three issues at this point tells me that these guys really just have to like, stop, like just stop getting in her way. You cannot stop her. That, uh, that scene you, you bring up Sean with the, the tiara, um, that felt a lot like Mr. Miracle for me, um, Mm. where all the action is happening in the background where the real focus is on focusing on kind of a a quiet moment with the character. Uh, it's her just like, She's like checking her nails. She just pings a bullet in one panel. Um, yeah. And she's just like chilling. Uh, but meanwhile, all of the onomatopoeias that, that, that uh, uh, Tomo, uh, who was the, the, the letterer? Tomo Murray. Tomo Murray, yeah. Um, could do or just throwing them on there on the page. Uh, I thought that was a great, a great panel. Even the, the one where, um, like Sean, you said there's a naivete to her. I think it's calculated, is the way I feel it. Um, like that one page where she goes to the 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 front receptionist and she's kind of bent over in front of him um which totally disarms him because she's using her body to really get what she wants uh, and i think that's cool that's a very wonder woman thing to do um yeah no i thought this whole thing was was fun almost more fun than the previous issue way more fun too. yeah uh, because there's actual stuff going on and you know the, the the last issue is as beautiful as it was it just kind of felt porny whereas this feels like you know something's cooking and um i i do have to say though that the man the sovereign's law issue long soliloquies are just i mean he's in the issue in the present modern day and then we also have his, you know, lecture to Wonder Woman's daughter going on in the future, it's way too much. The present stuff with him where he's trying to, you know, ask this soldier, like, what his experience was like with Wonder Woman, and then he uses the black lasso on him to make him lie and feel things that he didn't really feel, that I thought was all great. I really, really liked that. But the future stuff, I just can't get with it. I I cannot. It's a little much, yeah. I feel like um, it it just get it just gets in the way of the storytelling because for me it came off as very clunky. Like I, I understand that, especially in the moments where 
it's text box and then followed by a balloon of the same person talking. Uh, initially, I thought it was all present and he's just sort of thinking it through while he's also doing this thing in the background. And then we got to the end and I remembered, oh, that's right. He's also in the future. He's talking to this uh, to, to Trinity as well with this. Um, it came off as just kind of confusing. And um, I, I thought the most egregious thing was there was a moment in what's this page four i want to say where it just panels to the sovereign he's kind of like turning looking back and there are three text boxes one stacked on the other stacked on the other i'm like what like what are we doing what what, what is what is the the um like mechanically what is the use of this you're you're blocking art and you're blocking literally the text box um it just felt like overkill it's too much yeah and I agree. I, th- I I like it, but I also recognize how it's too much. Like you can still have it. I don't. I don't want to eliminate it at all. But I think yeah, it needs to be simmered down a little bit. Par it down, man. Get rid of a few boxes. You're good. And and this issue sort of seems to reveal what it is that the sovereign is angry about, and why Wonder Woman is the target, and why the Amazons are the targets. And it's because of the fact that. Amazon's, you know, nature poses a threat to the rule of the sovereign and man over society. Mm. Not buying it. Sorry. Nope. The I, I view this the sovereign is essentially the personification of the patriarchy. Right. Um so seeing like, yeah, I still don't think they're really a threat to her in the current capacity. I think that lasso is interesting. Um, but seeing how this snowballs is what has me intrigued. I'm saying I don't buy their motivation because Wonder Woman has been among men for a long time. So this is something that they've only put into motion now. What was the inciting incident for them to get this going? Was the influx of Amazons after Amazon's attack? Could that be it? When the hell was that? (laughs) Like, that was... Amazon, the Amazon's attack was like two decades ago. No, their most recent, recent one. one that was like that's ha- that's happening concurrently. Two, with two this. years ago, wasn't there? A oh, recent oh, Amazon you're event? talking about that. Yeah, oh. I don't. I didn't read that one, so I don't really know what happened in it. But I know something happened in it where like a lot of Amazons left the mascara. Is the world changing? The other books don't care to reflect that. <laughs> well, I haven't been yeah, reading Wonder just, Woman. It's so just, I don't know. It's just hard to accept. Wonder Woman's been around for a really, really long time. It feels like the sovereign's a little late on this this action here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't really. I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I I think I also disagree that the motivation for it it feels, um, it feels a little over the top. It's hyperbolic, and yeah, that's sometimes that's good. You can play into the maybe the self aware nature of a character. Maybe he comes off as a little more goofy and over the top. Um, I'm thinking of who was the villain from Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh my God, Ronan. Uh, uh, the most recent one. Like, what do you do? High crab claws for? Uh, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. High, like, like his character fit the like the evilness, quote unquote, because it was so over the top and grandiose. And this is not that. This like he he means these things, and I think he's taking himself too seriously, and it reflects on, at least for me, it reflects on the book. It's taking. It's meant to maybe take this uh, abstract concept 
bring it into the fold with Wonder Woman, um, but it's not even close to home. It's just like, I, I don't think it's executed and, and thought through well. I, I'm interested to see how it plays out, but I'm skeptical at the moment. There's a there's a moment where Wonder Woman finally makes it to room 32A and uh, she unveils the invisible jet behind her. And cool. it is a it's an absolutely badass moment, oh. beautifully rendered by Daniel Samper, who is just, you know, uh, a god among men at this point. But one thing that was a little weird to me, I don't really feel like the invisible jet would have uh, the, the guns. I don't buy that. No, I didn't even think about that. I don't know yeah. the lore of the invisible jet, honestly. That's a blank spot for me. Because... <laughs> Would it come yeah. with that mascara or like? No, because it, it, it comes from from Trevor. So I, I just assumed it's like his <laughs> plane, and he she modded it with some sort of tech, uh, and it's just like the thing that he would carry. I, I had this. I had a similar thought, Sean. Of just like, would she shoot this dude? Are they, is that loaded? Like, are we, is this just a threat? But I'm like, no. This is Steve Trevor's thing. Maybe maybe it's like actually there. The gun's there, but she's just. Uh, she's just there kind of like posturing. But it's like, for what? She already smoked every single uh, United States goon that she has encountered. Yeah. And none of them can even put a dent in her. So what does she need to flex with these guns for? It's just kind of, it's kind of weird. And it, it took me out of it for a moment. Um, mm. But, you know, I don't know. You're making me think about it. And I don't like that. Cause I thought it was a cool ass moment. I'm just like, now that I'm thinking like, wait, Hmm. I did a quick Google because I was curious about the origin, and one of there's multiple origins, just like Wonder Woman, so typical. But one of them is that it was it was Pegasus who decided, yeah, I want to be this now. What? <laughs> Which That's is cool. wild. <laughs> oh boy, um, dude, this is this might be in my top five as far as like visuals of the year because. Oh. I've never seen Wonder Woman look this good. Um, it, it's just it's just breathtaking, and it's not just an observance of her beauty. It's an observance of, you know, the way the way that she's being rendered. It's not just beauty. It's grace. It's it's poise. It's everything that Daniel Semper is bringing to the table with this rendition. Just look at this. She just finished smoking oh, yes. these dudes, right? Yes, that was the and then she hits this runway strut. As she, you know, presses about her mission in a ca in a casual way, like she's just just a, a a career woman going about her day. Presses about, press me, bro. The uh, <laughs> the oh, okay, um, the, it threw me off. the The page where where she's in, uh, who she calls Mister Sergeant Steel, which is like the, a perfect way of eliminating his rank immediately. Yeah. Um, oh, that's clever. At where she's just sitting in his chair. It's just such a a good page because that's the exact combo of things to piss this dude off. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do kind of want us to move on from every issue, her just sunning this guy, fighting United States military people. There's got to be more to this book than that. I think there needs to be a lieutenant for the sovereign, somebody for her to punch or something. Um. Because right now she's not really meeting much resistance, and it's more of a mystery, if anything. Loose mystery. 
Yeah, exactly. Because it's a mystery that's not that compelling to me. Uh, I guess we learn here that, you know, um, this rogue Amazon is pregnant. Mm. And that is, you know, the way it's juxtaposed, the way these panels are juxtaposed, it certainly gives us the impression that that would be Lizzie's mother, not Wonder Woman, which, of course, I think most people probably realize that Wonder Woman did not birth a child. Um, So is that where they're going with it? You know, who knows? I'm not that interested in that, to be honest. So I think Tom King's got a lot of work to do to make that aspect of this compelling. But boy, if I didn't have a great time just watching Wonder Woman walk around and, you know, do her business while she casually smokes these dudes. It was fun. Comic Boom in the chat says, uh, the possible plot line is Trinity's father is the Sovereign and Emily is the mother. Maybe Trinity was born to take over the Amazons and Sovereign forces, uniting the lasso of truth and lies? Wow, I think you probably just nailed it. That sounds that sounds pretty strong, I gotta yeah. say. Um, yeah. Pic- picturing the Hugh Hefner, uh, uh, the Sovereign being the Hugh Hefner of the DC Universe now, and it's extra creepy. Yuck. What about the backup? Uh, it was uh, a Lizzie-focused backup with the Super Sons. Um, it is by Tom King again, but I think he's joined. He's joined by Bellin Ortega on art on this one. Uh, cute. I liked it. I really like Bellin Ortega's art. Yeah. Um, I think that that art is perfect for. Like I, this, this felt like an issue of Super Sons with Trinity thrown in, uh, which reading, listening to Tom King interviews and um, things like that, he's talked about how he always wanted to tell the story of like the Super Sons being uh, a, a new Trinity, with that being uh, almost like siblings in a way. Yeah. Uh, and these little fun little backups, like this is a backup I wanted to read, uh, and I enjoyed it. It plays perfectly into Tom Keg's obsession with people cursing because now even the kids are cursing. They learned it from the parents. Yeah, as they fucking should. <laughs> hey. Um, this was, it was cute. It was cute. It was fun. Uh, I think these little romps are nice. Uh, they don't add as much as to the main story as maybe I might want because I think I want a little bit more from or I want a little bit more from the upfront story but to have it here and for it to exist uh was good yeah it didn't bother me I, I I liked it you know enough this is the kind of backup that I can certainly tolerate as someone who's not that big a fan of backups in general mm-hmm. um although I could I could definitely stand to pay 399 instead of 499 but we know that that won't be happening. Either way, uh, this is a pull for me. Mm, yeah. Pull. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Same for me. Ahead. I had fun. Let's see. Uh, Anthony in the chat. I haven't read the third issue of Wonder Woman yet, but is the Sovereign supposed to be a mythic counterpoint to what Wonder Woman stands for? Basically, is Sovereign even human? Uh, I think we definitely know that the sovereign is supposed to be an embodiment of the patriarchy, and it feels like there's some some type of like like endless lineage thing going on with with the sovereign. Um, but I don't know that we know enough quite yet. But yeah, I think there's something to that. 
whatever the sovereign on that is, is the sovereign is uh, ever uh, uh, always alive because he you know he's in pizza parlors taking baby blood or something. <laughs> uh, comic Comic Boom says, "Will it bother you, pals, if Trinity is the adopted daughter of Diana instead of biological?" No, I never anticipated that it would be uh, Wonder Woman's biological daughter because. To be honest, I just don't see them putting her out of commission for that long. Um, and I just think that there's a lot of there's a lot of murkier territory uh, there if You're Wonder right. Woman were to be the biological mother. So. You're right, Sean. She would uh, probably only get about a month, maybe at most, of uh, of parental leave, and her job's at risk if she were to come back, dude. You know, like you you can't do that because then realistically, nine months later, like I have to hire somebody. You know, and business decisions were made. And she's not very good with the government right now, so we know she doesn't have a government job. That's right, exactly. Yeah, which yeah. would probably give you at least two months. In healthcare. Uh, yeah, no, it's twice. <laughs> all I, right. I, I think they're they're all daughters of the mascara, so for them to want to for for them to freely adopt other um, other women, biological or not, um, the mascara or not, I think is beside the point. It it, it wouldn't matter. Hugh Lumbo says the streets calling Lizzie an industry plant cracks me up. Yo, Lizzie is absolutely an industry plant. That is that is fantastic. That's so true. Ex explain that to me. Got you. So an industry plant is an artist, you know, a, a musician that is chosen by the industry to have success. So, you know, we're talking about like your... Uh, you know, your Justin Bieber's of the world, your Drake's of the world, these kinds of people. That that's I'm not they, they're not really industry plants. I'm just you know saying. Um, but yeah, Lizzie is absolutely an industry plant. So chosen to be this young character to fill the void of that Trinity, in a way. Uh, I mean, it's def it's a joke, right? But it's an industry. She's uh, yeah, an industry yeah. plant in the literal sense that she was planted oh, by Tom fair, King. Fair. You know. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, all right. Before we get into the rest of this week's books and the after conversation, I want to let you guys know how you can support the show if you're inclined to do that. Patreon.com slash the comics pals. We are always giving you bang for your buck. We've got an exclusive show over there. You get to vote in the book club poll. You get a nickname and a shout out on the main show. All that stuff is there for you. If you are interested, that's Patreon.com slash the comics pals. Channel memberships are open on YouTube.com slash the comics pals. If you are not a channel member, you're missing out. Uh, there's exclusive videos over there. You get if you're a live stream viewer, then you get access to emojis um, with our faces on them, which are cute and fun. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So thank you to our channel members. Watch this show live every single Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Watch the main show live every single Saturday at 10.15 a.m. Eastern. And if you want to vote in the listener pick poll, you can do that every Friday. From Friday to Wednesday, you get to vote, and the book that wins is uh, going to get reviewed. This week, the winner was Batman Offworld, which is our next book up. Written by Jason Aaron, making his big DC debut, if you will. 
uh, with art by Doug Mankey or Doug Monk, however you say his name. Mankey, like the Pokemon. That's what I always thought, As man. That's always. That's where my mind went. I thought his name was Doug Primate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm illiterate. Oh, all right. Um, and uh, of course, I'm struggling because DC refuses to put their credits in a reasonable place in the books. So you have to just sort of figure it out. Anyway, let's talk about the book. Um, this is Batman as far away from Gotham as he could possibly be with aliens and, you know, spacecrafts and just all kinds of things that are completely foreign to what you would expect to find in a Batman book. And even in the Batman book, generally Batman is the one that's kicking ass. And in this one, the only thing Batman's really doing is getting his ass kicked. This is very much Jason Aaron taking Batman, taking Bruce from comfortability, from safety. If you could ever, if you could call anything that Batman does comfortable or safe, he's taking him away from all of those trappings and saying, okay, now can you be Batman if no one is afraid of you? You know, can you be Batman if night never comes? Can you be Batman without Alfred? Can you be Batman without Robin? I'm interested in that. Yeah. Mm. Initially, I was like, okay, uh, I didn't take it as that. I took it as, you know, we're just in an off-world adventure. Now you got to beat the big bad. Uh, and so you have to train your way to get there. Fine. It's an anime arc of something. Um, but then in the end, I'm getting clonked by a dude from the Slag Galaxy. <sighs> It, it felt like it undercut the entirety of this journey. He's just there because some other, some other dude punched him and beat him. Um, it felt inorganic to me, and uh, I, I didn't like that at the end. The the you didn't like the reasoning Batman took this trip. Yeah, seemingly okay. just because he he got because he got beat up, and he's like, I'm, I got to be the toughest guy, even in space. I'm Batman, and I'm gonna show you. I read it more as because the Tamarin, Tamarin, what what do we call Starfire's race? Tamarin. Tamaranians. She said, oh, why are you doing this? It's because it's somebody you love. And it cuts to Gotham. And that's that's who he loves. It's Gotham. And the fact that he wants to be able to defend Gotham from anything, including aliens. Right. Mm. Does that change your opinion, that reading, or... Yeah, then the first thought I had was just call Superman, bro. Like, <laughs> dial him yeah, no, up. No, no. He's got a bad ego. Um, <laughs> Marco, how do you like the Doug Monkey art? I'm curious to see because I know Sean and I had, are more familiar with his art. Oh no, I'm I'm familiar with. Oh yeah, with the swap guy, thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, he's had some old stuff. Um, it's definitely changed uh, from from that kind of stuff. That's you know his '90s, some of his '90s work, um, and it's it's good. Um, it's not my favorite stuff, but you know, mechanically, the way that he composes things, there's nothing wrong with it, and it, and it looks good outside of my tastes. I follow Doug Doug Monkey on on Instagram, and he's been doing this these series of almost like short animations. Yeah, I love that. Um, that this feels like a a, a real evolution of that, you know, 
the way this art style is of he just drawn just buff alien people doing buff people stuff. Um, he's a buff dude. Oh, yo, Doug Monkey could he could I don't know how he that's why he probably has to draw digitally now because the pencils keep breaking. Um, <laughs> yo, he he's uh, I think he competes. I want to say he competes almost like in like powerlifting. I wouldn't shit. doubt it. Yeah, yeah, I, the, but I see that. I I see that. But yeah, yeah, I I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, it felt good to see Jason Aaron not doing Avengers. You know, yeah. Um, this kind of felt like some of the more fun Thor stories he wrote where it's kind of a simple story, but it's kind of metal at the same time uh, where, where Thor was more like fantasy metal. Now we're going to like sci-fi metal and he's just throwing Batman in the mix there. Mm. Um, yeah. I thought this was a lot of fun. I like this. I, I'll be honest. I didn't come into this expecting much. Um, Me neither. Yeah. Mostly because of the premise, because a traditional, a traditionally presented Batman story written by Jason Aaron is definitely something that I would be interested in. Um, but this offshoot take was just like, ah, I don't care about Batman in space. But um, I did actually find something to enjoy. It helps that I really am a fan of uh, Doug Monkey's art. Um, this still does feel like a bit of a mismatch. And it should because, it, you know, it's Batman in space. But the malleability of the character of Batman makes it so that this is tolerable. And by the time I got to the last page, I was like, you know what? I really can't wait to see when Batman gets to kicking all this alien ass. So I think I'm here for this. Mm. And I also like a setting where Batman is the underdog again. Sure. Um, this, you know, because Batman just has a, a, a an answer to everything in it. And I think the cool parts that Jason Aaron wrote in here were like, oh, these are aliens I've never seen before. I don't know where their pressure points are. I don't know if they, you know, where to even hurt them. Um, and him having talking to a, a beat up punch bot robot to try and get this information about his enemies, I thought was really fun and, and kind of goofy in a way. Yeah, that's a good point. The the power scaling that they had to do for this was interesting. Uh, and I did appreciate that. Um, Cause you're right. It, it, it forces him to have to like think and relearn. And he's the dude that knows all this shit, but now he's in an environment where he doesn't have, where he has to be proactive about that. That was kind of fun. It's like a video game when you're in the sequel and you have to get all your, your skills back because yeah. there needs to be progression again. <laughs> Is that Metroid fusion? Yeah. 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 Uh, I had a lot of fun with this one, and this is a pull, I think. Yeah, especially at three ninety nine, which you know definitely matters. Um, for a an offshoot book by a superstar creative team to be one of the lower priced books in my pull list this week, I'm I'm happy as a clam about that. So the quality of the work and the price says buy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Agreed. Pull, uh, and. Uh, Aaron's does really good pacing here. He just kind of takes us through. Nothing about this felt like I needed to either catch up or slow down. I I felt very comfortable just working my way through this book, and um, there wasn't a moment that took me out. So also just hats off to Jason Aaron for being able to do that because that's not always easy, especially one on an IP that you're taking away from their natural environment. 
And also shout out to uh, uh, it was David Barron on Colors uh, because mm-hmm. the colors are weird here. They really lean into the whole sci-fi world of things. You know, it reminds me of Spicer's colors on Swamp Thing. Uh, a lot yeah. of neons, a lot of bright uh, highlighter uh, colors almost, um, which is not Batman either, and I like that. Hmm. Lo Dameron asks, what do you think of a lot of Marvel creators heading to DC? I think that Marvel is not paying what they used to, and I think DC probably is, is, is you know paying a little bit more. And uh, we can see that because so many of the creators who were Marvel exclusive or seem to have a close relationship with Marvel have either jumped ship or even uh, severed their ties. Like Rom V, for example, was doing double duty and, uh, you know, has since dipped from Marvel. So, yeah, it's uh, it sucks because that the, the pool of creators that Marvel is pulling from is shallower and shallower. But, you know. These pendulums, they do swing. Hey, and you know what? If you were to get new stories like this and Aaron's not done a story like this, cool. That, that just means there's more variety in the comic space. That can't be a bad thing. Yeah. And as a Jason Aaron fan, I kind of needed this. Because <laughs> uh, his Avengers run was not doing it for me. And I think he just lost a lot of steam at Marvel. So new environment, new stuff. I'm digging it. Not that I enjoyed it the same way, but it definitely hearkened me back to when I used to enjoy him, like around the time of Wolverine and the X-Men and that type of stuff. So, All right. Let's talk about Andy Samberg. (laughs) Andy Samberg is an SNL alum, right? Correct. A comedian, an actor... And now, a comic book writer. And not just a comic book writer, but a comic book writer who managed to team up with Rick Remender, one of my favorite writers of all time, to put himself in a comic book. That he probably hopes will one day be a movie. There was a a panel where he's talking to the dad, and it's just like, him in the him in a hat. It looks like a. It looks like they bulked up, and tried to like beautify Andy Samberg, and he looks like Adam Driver with a hat now. Yeah, like like that's the guy who they got to get to play the life of Andy Samberg is, uh, just like a, a taller, hotter dude. And did you see his dad is just Judd Hirsch? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they already cast him. Cool. It's so funny, man. Uh, before we speak further, so this was a written by a, tri- a triumvirate of talented individuals. Rick Remender, joined by the aforementioned Andy Samberg and Joe Trollman of Fallout Boy fame, I believe. Uh, yeah, with art by Roland Bashi and colors by Moreno Denicio. Letters by Russ Wooten. And the Holy Roller follows a young boy whose father is, you know, a bowling aficionado. The kind of dude who goes to the bowling alley and, uh, you know, he's just that local that local celebrity, that dude that wins bowling events, but didn't really amount to much outside of that. 
And so they're sort of losers, and, you know, he gets made fun of at the bowling alley, you know, and then he decides that he's going to go, he gets older, and he decides he's going to go, you know, be be a humanitarian, you know, go save the world or whatever on a boat somewhere. Um, doing, doing a lot of whatever. Yeah, exactly. Smoking weed and just, uh, you know, doing a whole lot of nothing. He goes back to his hometown. Things aren't the same. Uh, his father, you know, is this old man who sort of wasted his life. And his son wants nothing to do with it. But he goes to the one place he wasn't supposed to go. He goes back to the bowling alley. And, of course, his childhood bullies are there again. They see him. And they want they want a piece of that ass, and uh, that is how the Holy Roller is born. Because uh, the Andy Sandberg stand-in has to use his father's legendary bowling ball to beat the ever-loving shit out of his childhood bullies. Bro, you ever drop a bowling ball on your foot? No. Nope. Oh, dude, like that. This is a decent weapon, honestly. I gotta say. And plus, I like mystery men, so I'm a fan of the bowler. Uh, although it's this isn't a mystical bowling ball yet. Um, so, did you like it, Sean? Mm, uh, I liked parts of it. Um, I I was kind of into the the beginning of it, but once I saw the, the Andy Sandberg stand-in man, you know, uh, and all the I don't know, it just felt like a lot of nothing. And I could see this working a lot better if it was like the first episode of a TV show. Um, it very much feels like that or the first part of a movie. And I guess I was interested to see where it goes next. But I couldn't stop thinking about how like would Rick Remender be doing this if like I'm more interested in how this book came to be than I am what happened in it. Oh, I, I got you right now. I'll sign the check. That's fine. Did you read the uh, letters? Yeah, and it's yeah, good because it doesn't you know, answer your question. <laughs> no, Rick Remender just completely bullshitting his way through an explanation of how this book came to be. And, and having met him, I read that in his voice, and I'm like, yeah, that that's sure. all right. Yeah, for sure. Hmm, it was all right. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. how I feel about this. I think you can tell. Uh, in in some places, it's hard to tell where the uh, delineation of of writing duties go when it, when there's multiple writers. Um, this feels very plot driven by Remender, like, you know, down on his luck, deadbeat uh, main character uh, with daddy issues. Like it's a Rick Remender book. Um, but then you see uh, what his name, Levi, right? The main character's name. Yeah. Um, he starts talking and I hear Andy Samberg, like the way the jokes are. These are clearly Andy Samberg dialogue. Yep. Like I actually yep. can see his his hand in there. Um, I don't know where the the Joe Troman stuff lies. Maybe that's everything else. Um, but I can see where people may be in the writing. Um, I thought it was fine. It's 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 not much different than Kick Ass. It's like Kick Took Us, you know. But wow, like it's I gotta see. I gotta see more. I'm not sold on it just yet, but I didn't dislike it. I, I generally liked it. I thought we spent a little too much time on that uh, Greenpeace boat. Yeah. Um, especially since this is, what, 42 pages, this issue? It's an extra, it's exercised. Some of that, um, yeah. I would have preferred more time with his dad, honestly, or more time in this city that we're going to be in, um, which they keep referring to as, oh, it's like RoboCop. Okay. 
I want to see that though. I only saw glimpses of it. Robocop, like the 50 year old reference. Have you never seen Robocop, Marco? No, I haven't actually. Oh, it's in the eighties, right? Yeah. That's like 50 years. <laughs> okay. And... 40 years. First of all, it's just, it's just like outdated. Like, like it, it's not, it's not, Robocop's even that, not like, an outdated reference, but like the world is like, this world is what this looks like. I, I don't know. This feels like even for like making older references, it feels a little like passe. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't interested in this book. This, this, this didn't do anything for me. I thought they were going to lead into some of like the arcade moments, especially at the start. Um, but they, they didn't necessarily, the, the bully coming back, like fine. He's, he's that much of a dick that he holds a grudge. Okay. It, it, it just, um, it was a little trite. I, I don't know. Uh, milk bone crusader number six in the, in the chat says I'm hesitant with celebrity comics. I think as far as celebrity comics go, this is probably one of the better ones. The thing, the thing is that I can't, I can't attribute anything in particular to anybody. Right. So does this feel like a Rick Remender comic in some ways? Um, but it also feels like something else. And that's something else is what I can't stop thinking about. And it's like, I don't know who wrote this script. I don't know if Rick Remender wrote every page of it. And, you know, the other two were just there for the idea of it. Um, but I can't tell. And that's a little frustrating for me. But is it a good is it a good celebrity comic? I mean, I've I've read some like that mom one by Amelia Clark. Ooh, that was rough. That's right. That was a rough one. Yeah, but Mon uh, Valani writing Miss Marvel right now, which is pretty good. That's was, good. That was really good. Berserker was was fine. That was solid. That, I didn't have any problems with that. It's fun. And I've, and I've kept up with it. It's still fun. Now, can we talk really briefly, because we seem to not care about this comic, about the worst celebrity comic, at least in the last decade? You guys got to give me this shit. Written, what do you think written, I'm going to say, Marco? Written or in it? R uh, written. Come on. It sounds like you guys have covered it before. We, <laughs> I, we definitely did. Fuck. All right, fine. The fucking JJ Abrams oh, yes. nepotism oh. comic. Nepo yes. Spidey. Yeah. <laughs> Nepo Spidey. Yeah. That was bad. That was really bad. Um, this isn't anywhere close to that. This is something to where, you know, I definitely want to see what's gonna happen next. Um, but if the second issue doesn't like really take me to another place then I'll probably drop this, which is hard to say about a Rick Remender book because I absolutely love everything he does. Mm. I will say the Roland Bashi art, very good. Oh, um, yeah. I think oh, it's great yeah. for this type of story, too. It's, it's, it's you know, I'm remembering Rick Remender and him did Winter Soldier, uh, Bitter or something or other. Um, that it was, it was, it's kind of hearkening back to that team up. Um, I think once we get more violent, it could be really cool. Uh, but yeah, I think the art's very good. Yeah, the art is phenomenal. Bashi is 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 absolutely incredible. Um I'm I'm trying to figure out like, is this gonna get more violent? Like I, I half like especially based off the cover, I half expected him to like the ball to suddenly, you know, transform him 
a la um what's the radiant like a radiant black thing wait you're asking if this book's gonna get more violent yeah you don't think it's gonna you don't think that this right here is an indication that this book is gonna get more violent well i i was expect i guess i was expecting the transformation to sort of happen like like that to be the lead in i know we just have the ball now but that that, that hasn't interested me because my worry was Oh, he's just gonna walk around. He's just gonna be a dude walking around in a hat, like a a, a college dropout, and just like knock people around. Dude, it's, he's gonna like, be a he's <laughs> gonna he's gonna wear this cool ass costume and beat the ever loving shit out of his childhood bullies and whoever it is that turned this place into RoboCop with this bowling ball. He don't have powers. He has a ball, a bowling ball. Sean, he's gonna use it to get justice. I'm sensing a theme here with Marco's taste when it comes to origin comics. Batman Year One? Eh, it's a book. Uh, I guess, did you want, like, Holy Roller to happen in issue one? Did you want Batman to be Batman in issue one of, of year one? Well, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I expected more <laughs> from this. So, like, like this wasn't compelling. For, this wasn't compelling for me. Dude, he's a Jewish guy who's going to beat up Nazis with a bowling ball. What more do you need? Yuppies. They're yuppies. Mar Marco, They're Nazis. I, I I threw up the uh, one of the variants, and I know uh, variants suck, uh, but there's one that is a direct homage to the first issue of Judge Dredd. Uh, that is fantastic. It's him just beating up a a guy with a Confederate flag shirt. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm back in. <laughs> pull, <laughs> pull for now. Pull for it now. It was good. In, yeah. It was good enough. Hesitant pull. All right. Uh, what is this bloodlines? What are you guys talking about? The chat is talking about some bloodlines. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Is that a TV show? What TV show? Some bloodlines a TV show? I have no idea. I never. I, I never know. It was a DC Comics story arc. Well, I haven't heard of that, but I have heard of Immortal X Men, uh, written by Kieran Gillen, who had a lot to say in this issue. Hmm. With art by fill-in artist uh, Juan Jose Rip, uh, David Curiel on colors, and Clayton Cowles on the letters. So things are really starting to wind down, right? The Krakoan era is coming to an end, and we're starting to get some you know, major secrets revealed and characters getting put in position for you know what feels like the end of things. Um. And we got some critical information right at the beginning of this comic book, which is what in the hell has been going on with Professor Xavier. And I have to give Kieran Gillen credit because he definitely set this up like 10 issues ago, this, this reveal that even though the uh, Quiet Council have all been have all had Sinister actually extracted from them. Professor Xavier still has Sinister DNA because of an experiment that was done, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, which we saw in an earlier issue of Immortal X-Men. So I like seeing this get paid off. And Kieran has been great about setting stuff up and actually paying it off later. So I like that right up front. <clears throat> um... You know we have picks of the week, right? Huh? You know how we have the pick of the week, like what our yeah. favorite is. 
Um, this was my pass of the week. <laughs> um, okay, okay. I'm so checked out of this Immortal X-Men run. Oh. I, I don't... I, I it, it is so lost in itself that it, it, it all it does is just spew out new jargon for it to then contend with later on. <laughs> Uh, this white hot room, the sinister infection. Like we're we're still dealing with fallout from sins of sinister. Why? Um, it's I read two issues by the way to catch up because I I don't know if we talked about the last one or not. I had to read two. Um, and man, nothing about this was appealing to me at all. I found it clunky. I found it boring. Um, I don't. The, the art by uh, Juan Jose Rip um, did not gel with the general art that this book has had. It's horrifying. Mm. It's legit creepy. Yeah. I don't want to say it's bad art because I don't think there is bad art. I think it's art subjective. But this is a bad match for this book. Dude, look at Gene. What <laughs> the hell? Yeah, that was rough. What is her face about? She looks, I, I don't even know how to describe, like, I I cannot describe that. She just, it just doesn't look right. Even Apocalypse, earlier in the book, he just, he just looks bizarre. Look at his teeth. Look at his face. I don't know. Dude, the teeth, just, the teeth got me. It's just yeah. too, I don't, what, what, what would we say, like? It's not uncanny valley, right? It's just no. I think it is. <laughs> it is okay. Yeah. Then that then that's the right word because it's just it really really freaked me out. It's uncanny X Men Valley. Oh, got <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, it felt like art you would see on uh, Metal Band's first EP. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't wow. know how to describe that any better. Um, and like David Curiel, I believe, was the colorist throughout. Yeah. Um and it and it just feels like his color doesn't really work with the art either. It's trying to add a form like the art needs a, like a almost like a three-dimensional form that it just doesn't work compared to like what Wernick was doing on this. Yeah. Um yeah, man, I'm I'm totally checked out. And I'm trying to well, think about like what X-Men I am checked into and it's less and less every day. In in reading the last issue, did that help? Because I, I think I, I missed the last issue, so I, I kind of no. came into this. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, okay. it doesn't help. Yeah. I, I'm, more so than anything else, I was just a bit confused as to, like, the the status of some things. Like, uh, I'm either an issue or two behind, but I recall in catching up here that uh, the Xavier bit in the reveal was... I feel like we had an understanding of some of this already. And that we're still waiting for the um, for the other three sinisters to kind of just reveal themselves. So the fact that he revealed that he's still uh, here and plotting against them, to your point, Tyler, that's continued to drag on. I don't know. I, I kind of want them to finish things that they've started in this book. And I don't recall why Apocalypse is here fighting. Um, okay, I need to. St I need to stop this conversation because. You you guys you guys have missed the boat on what's actually happening here. So let me just try to explain it. Because by the way, I don't think it's well explained. I think it's very uh, it, it's not convoluted because it does make sense. It's just not being explained in a way that makes it seem like it makes sense. So the other so first of all, they're in the white hot room, which is a place that's like 
essentially like a limbo type of thing. And that's where all the phoenixes can communicate with each other and blah, blah, blah. Apocalypse is not there. Apocalypse, Wolverine, and the other issue, all of those are just manifestations of the fears and and things like that of the people that are in the White Hot Room right now. Um, And this is happening because of what's going on with Jean from when she was stabbed by that crazy knife um, that doesn't let you die normal. Uh, Like a Mysterium knife or something like that? I, I don't know. Something. Professor Xavier is essentially haunted by the ghost of Sinister that's been inside of him. It's not literally a ghost. It's his DNA that exists in Charles Xavier. The reason why that's relevant is because this entire time we've been wondering if, in fact, the rest of the Quiet Council was still infected. That was the reason why they had to leave the Quiet Council in the first place. So that's critical information. Mother Righteous, also on the side, has now made her play because she has to kill Destiny. Because once they get out of the white hot room, Destiny's going to know what it is that Mother Righteous is doing, and she can't have that. So that's why that all went down. So yeah. Does that clear stuff up? Well, that's what I thought the entire time. Okay. So then what's the com- – well, you weren't really yeah, – yeah. My issue is that it's not compelling. Marco, um, does that help or – uh, it does, um, but it doesn't doesn't save the book. At least for where it's at at the moment. Um, like I, uh, there are things happening enough that an, an end goal here. I'm, I'm, I maybe I'm just not interested in the sinister end goal in Mother Righteous's end goal in uh, how, if at all. Xavier is going to try to bring the dream back. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm impressed in the chat. said not, It's not fall of X. It's fell off X. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, you know, I, I, I was definitely higher on, on this one than you guys. I got a lot out of the conversation between Professor Xavier and Sinister. It made me think about House of X. And, you know, those early conversations that these two had. It frustrates me, though, that, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of all of this, yes, there's a series of dominoes that have led to the fall of X. But the most critical domino is Sins of Sinister. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think that is frustrating to me. I guess you could say it was Inferno. Maybe you could maybe you could go back to that. But but this would not be happening if it wasn't for Sinister. 100%. Yeah. But my other issue with it, too, is that it feels very much like uh, final season of Game of Thrones, where it's like they know they have to wrap it up, and now everything has to start happening now. All those dominoes need to fall. Yeah. Like Mother Righteous, I feel like her turn is much quicker than it should have been, you know? like she It's not. A, well, in terms of, like, her being with these, these mutants, um, she's barely really had time or issue space to live in that kind of subterfuge in a way she's been she's been at it's been at least an arc because ever since sins of sinister ended she's been a part of this book and she's been spinning her tail and we've seen how she's you know put her claws into all the mutants and things like this um her reason for doing this now though is is pretty you know clear she has to. 
Um, but I get it. This this is a series that started with a lot of promise. And even though I still enjoy it a lot, it's not what it was. I think the cast being pared down a bit hurts. Uh, I miss Magneto a lot. We lost Kate. You know, we lost a lot of characters. You know, the Colossus angle and, and all of that compelling stuff is being played out elsewhere. So we didn't even get to see all that. A lot of the fun Immortal X-Men stories are gone from the book. So I definitely get where you guys are coming from. It's like a WWE draft when the storylines, they get drafted to another, uh, 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 I guess, roster. and then Another brand. Yeah, another brand, and the whole storylines get messed up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it would be cool if we read every issue of Immortal X-Men because it was pretty clear that this book wasn't never going to last like a really long time. But I don't know if this book is the kind of thing that makes sense for this show anymore because it's like you either care about the story that's going on and have been a part of it or you've jumped ship or you never started. Now's not a good time to start. And if you're not happy, it's not getting better. So I think this will be the last time we review this. Maybe we'll review the finale, but I'll still be reading it for sure. I mean, I'll still be reading it too because I'm a masochist, but in terms of my enthusiasm for it, it's jumped ship with this issue, I think. I think reading the past two issues back-to-back um, definitely kind of was was the straw that broke my camel's back. Yeah, it's lost sight of what it originally set out to do because I remember the hype being, oh, the Quiet Council. We're getting just like, you know, the politicking of it. And now we've gotten into the sometimes the... A convoluted nature of villains and end goals. Tinfoil hat. Do you think they, that this story is so convoluted and boring so that it makes us not care about the Krakoan age going away now? <laughs> so okay, I think yeah. it's being written by Kieran Gillen. Uh, Dang. Yeah. Gil- Gillen writes out. some really good stuff, though. Like, um, die. Who are you telling? I'm into it. Oh, it's, true, it's, yeah. just, it's just written in a <laughs> yeah. way that it, like this is how he writes. It makes sense. And like he's the done movie. X-Men before too, and it wasn't that great. You know? Right. The uh what was it? What was the other island? Uh I don't remember. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah, like his, but even his other run on X-Men was a sinister fest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that really annoyed me was Charles Xavier in this most depressive state as he's in this uh, mental scape with the Sinister, you know, part of him, uh, mentions that Sinister's only into memes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. No. I don't even think Charles Xavier knows what a meme is. Yeah, that that definitely took me out of it. Like, I don't feel he would say that. It's like, oh, now Karen Gillan's talking to me. Yeah, for sure. And to be fair, that's the same problem that I have with Cy Spurrier. It's just that for whatever reason, Gillen's books have worked better for me. Uh, I've really loved Immortal X-Men, and I will be sad to see it go, even if it's not going out in the way that it started from a quality standpoint. Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dan Trudeau says, my interest in reading past Hoxpox is officially dead. I definitely think there's a way to read the Krakoan era that skims and gets past the parts that aren't good and allows you to read what is. And there is a lot of good. You just have to, it has to be a curated thing and not, you can't just read everything. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of us tried to read everything. We burned ourselves out. Should I say that? Yeah. There was too much volume there to keep up and then for some things to keep up with interest. Amin Perez says, I can't wait to get into X-Men when the mansion is back, though. I'm still, I'm still, you know, torn. Uh, it's I, we know it's inevitable, right? Like, there's no more debate about whether or not we're we're ending this era. So, you know, I guess it's just a wait and see situation. I'm still here. I'm still wanting to see how this whole thing resolves. Uh, just to close out the era, I'm interested to see what that means and how that changes the dynamic of the X Men for the future, because. Yeah. I was so excited and happy about this world and it's been such a short lived, relatively short lived time to be, to have existed here. Um, where the story, the original story wasn't even told in you know, the, the way that it was intended. And so, um, yeah, I'm curious to see how this wraps up more so than anything else, just to see where, what the new status quo is going to be. Maybe I'll like that. Maybe I'm, maybe that's jumping on point. Vengeance says, what ongoing DC books do y'all want Jason Aaron to write? That's a tough one. I think I saw Jason Aaron for sure as a Batman guy, without question. Mm. And so an ongoing you know, run for him on Batman, like I said at the top, that's something that compels me. But I don't think Chip Zdarsky is getting off the seat anytime soon. So what does that leave room for? Well, the Justice League don't have a book right now. They are going to have a book soon. Down the road, eventually, it's got to happen. And I think that Jason Aaron has to at least be a candidate for that if he plans on sticking around with DC and not just dipping his feet into their pool. If I'm fan casting... Oh, go ahead, Marco. I was going to say, speaking of pool, who's one of the... Who's who's not... Who doesn't have a book right now? Tom King on Wonder Woman, Zdarsky on Batman... PKJ on uh, Superman. Who, what characters that leave? Aquaman, the oh, man God. of the hour. He's bringing him back, baby. Does he not Marco, have an ongoing I, currently? He doesn't. No. Can I say something to you, Marco? There's mm-hmm. a there's a part of me that was desperately afraid that you were going to say Deadpool, because then I knew that we could no longer be friends. <laughs> Deadpool? He's not yeah. even part of. He's not even part of uh, DC. Thank goodness you know that. <laughs> You're thinking of uh, dead shot. There we go. <laughs> Got it. I mean, we know he's doing Superman. Um, if I want to fan cast Jason Aaron to DC, it's uh, Animal Man or um, some New Gods related stuff. Oh, that's what I would want. Yeah, uh, Milkbone Cru- Crusader is correct that Aaron is coming on and he's going to be doing action comics in a baton pass situation um, with Joshua Williamson. But I don't think that an, a writer of, of Aaron's caliber you bring on to just pass the baton with another writer. He's got to have something, I would imagine anyway, something in universe to plant his flag and tell you know a story unto himself. Um, mm. I'd be surprised if we didn't get an announcement about a new Jason Aaron DC book within the next couple of months. So I look forward to it. Let's let's get into our last review. We've got uh, a book we've only talked about a couple of times here on the show. We've got Incredible Hulk. 
This is the start of the Spirit of Vengeance arc, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by Nick Klein, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by Corey Pettit. Now, I'm going to say this right now. You, dear listener, may have noticed that none of us have said, to my recollection, that a book was our pick of the week yet. Yeah, yep. There's a reason. It is because this comic book is fantastic, and it is all of our pick of the week. Yeah, it's mine. It's mine. Yeah. Not only that, uh, I read the previous arc that was drawn by Travel Foreman to catch up. Uh, those two were also my pick of the week. <laughs> um, <laughs> this whole this whole story is so damn good. Man, I love this book. It, it's use of Monster of the Week is incredible. Uh, the way it sets up just little bits of drama in between the characters, great pages of just like single pages, easy. It, it is comic of craft, of fun. And man, I'm excited for the next issue. That's all you need. Dude, this is this is probably the greatest example of a fresh, something fresh body horror-wise in comics. Um, there is a double page spread of Bruce Banner being overtaken by the Hulk. And it is the nastiest transformation I have ever seen. I audibly gasped. I cannot believe that this is the first time I'm seeing this. Bruce, the Hulk comes out of Bruce, out of his skin. Loved it. it the the oh God, I, I know this is a bit still, but that that one panel of uh, Bruce's foot as the human flesh breaks apart and the Hulk toe comes through, it's mm. like oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I'll show it off if you guys want to see Hell it. I'm, yeah. I'm showing it. It's a, it it really is an incredible splash double page splash that nick klein does such a great job with how disgusting is it to see the eyes of bruce banner just like sort of uh popping and the hulk's teeth and face coming through where bruce's face should be what a violent vile transformation yeah and and his art looks a little squishy Mm -hmm. like it stretches and you can hear like the squelch of it all oh Oh, good. It's good. like those toys in the '90s. You you squeeze them and their eyes would pop out. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised this isn't even like it's not advertised as like mature readers only. It is a violent graphic book for like a mainstream Incredible Hulk Avengers character title book. Um, it's surprising that Marvel's doing this. And uh, Sean, you can show the page right after the 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 single page where uh, Bruce is there. In the BA, that pool of blood is just he uh Bruce Banner's trapped. It's it. The swap happened and he's chilling there. It's cool. the Hulk, you know, standing over a pool of blood and inside the reflection you can see Bruce. And and yeah, Marco uh, aptly saying Bruce is trapped. You know, I love this uh it's it's not a novel idea, but this idea that, you know, Bruce and the Hulk are antagonistic and when one is in charge, the other is in chains. Mm. You know? I think that's really interesting. And you said simple, like a like a. It's not a novel idea, but I think that's what I like about this book. It's 
You know, like I talked about how convoluted I think Immortal X-Men is and what Karen Gillen's doing there. And this is just like, it's keep it simple, simple stupid, you know? Like it, it's a Hulk story. It's not really reinventing the wheel. It's just doing it really, really well. And kind of just doing these kind of uh, almost quick little two-issue arcs that are Monster of the Week, um, quite literally playing with the monsters of the Marvel Universe. Um, yeah. And it, it's – I really like how Hulk is becoming a horror book, you know, thanks to, you know, Al Ewing with Immortal Hulk uh, for that. But uh, this leaning even even, even further into it, uh, it's, it's so, so good. Well, Amon Perez says, will Hulk ever become a non-horror book again? And, I, I mean, we've already gotten it. Donnie Cates' run was very much more sci-fi. Yeah. And quite frankly, uh, you know, as a fan of Donnie for sure, I didn't care for that too much. And yeah. I think, you know, I think that not to say that the Hulk's roots, not that, that the Hulk belongs to horror necessarily, I just don't know that the Hulk is as stretchy um, as other characters. Once he was wearing like that whole body armor and there was all that other stuff going on, I kind of didn't care. Here, you know, where where you can do interesting things visually with the Hulk, you know, this double page splash that I showed off a few moments ago doesn't happen in a non-horror Hulk book. And that's where the interest and action is at. I'm happy for a writer to come around, a creative team to come around to tell a more superheroic-y Hulk story down the road, but this is where I want to live with the character right now. I mean, I think the character is horror. Uh, I mean, sure, it was a sci-fi, you know, experiment gone wrong, but it's, it's you know, Jekyll and Hyde. It's the story of Jekyll and Hyde. It's the story of a werewolf, you know? It, everything there has its roots in horror and who the Hulk is. So I think it's only the natural uh, way for it to work. I have a feeling that sorry, Marco, go ahead. No, match made in heaven. I have a feeling that Marvel's gonna swing between horror and not horror, every other uh creative team. Yeah. Honestly, I'd love I'd love to see what this would look like in a non comics thing, you know, in a movie or a Hulk movie or something. Um that would solve a lot of my MCU problems as well, but um the wishful thinking. Well, we know we can't get a Hulk movie, or we haven't been able to get a Hulk movie yeah. um, or project for reasons. But I think you know, you know the the show, uh, the Incredible Hulk show from the seventies or eighties or whatever that was from. Something like that now, I think, would actually be really incredible, mm -hmm. and I think that's compelling for Disney Plus because you don't have to show the Hulk that much. You can be coy let it be a horror thing you know focus more on bruce banner let the hulk come out as a you know monster uh when you need to pull that trigger maybe not even every episode maybe yep Allah, uh, what is that uh werewolf by night easy they've got this they, they've they they can show they've gotten the style down and this shows that the concept works the 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 connecting thread between those two being man thing uh, <laughs> Exactly. First villain. Um, I, I, something about the art as well is it feels very. Uh, I got like colored pencils a little bit from it. There's um there's a bit of there's a bit of cartooniness that works with the form, but then the shading with the like these really harsh lines for inks 
Um, and then from a color standpoint, what looks to be like, yeah, like just like colored pencil, something about that uh, works really well with the, the environment and the character. Um, and even the things that get shown, like Klein is doing next level things with this character and on this book, I, especially with, with uh, the, this isn't the, who, who was on this previously? the previous creative team yeah it was uh donny cates and uh stegman no uh, ryan otley otley there you yep. go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah i knew it was uh, ryan <laughs> this stuff this stuff just like matches the vibe that uh hulk is giving at the moment good even the stuff with that dude who like every time he looks at people he just sees himself doing horrible things to them mm. I, What's that about? You know, like there were layers of things to be interested in in this issue. That it was so much, I couldn't believe how much there was. Yeah, I mean, I found that I found that a bit relatable. You know, you ever drive a car and you just see people walk in the street and you're like, maybe extra couple points. You know, wow. no Go for the high score. No, all right, back to therapy. I go, uh, but Mar- <laughs> Marco, the the thing with the art, I think there's a texture to it that mm. you don't get in the age of digital art as much anymore. Yeah. That I think just yeah. jumps out here. Yeah, agreed. Little little scratchy, just like yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. rough on the like if, if it was if you could feel the paper, I bet you'd feel like the bumps and crinkles. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Pick of the week. This is a brilliant comic. Yep. Uh, I'm so glad that we read it. Um wow. Wow. Like this is you talk about your daredevils of the world, you know, characters that just always have great runs. The Hulk is is sort of, you know, getting into that conversation. I mean, you know, we had the classic with, with Al Ewing, you know, the Donny Cates thing. And then this now, this is starting to become a thing. I, I'd say going back to Greg Pock, Greg Pox was sure monumental. And I know you mentioned a Hulk in the in the suit. Uh, but that was Mark Wade and Mateo Scalera. Like it, it still looked good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's weird. I didn't think about it that way. I always think of Daredevil when it comes to like consistency. Uh, yeah, but maybe because Hulk is not as consistently published as Daredevil is, if that makes sense. That I just don't think about it because Hulk goes lengths without being published sometimes. Uh, I mean. Even more than that, though, Daredevil just has a reputation. Yeah. So it's yep. like, you know, even as far back as I can remember, it's been like, yeah, Daredevil's that comic book. Um, and hopefully Hulk can become that comic book. Fingers crossed. They're doing good work like this. Please and thank you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I would say that this week of comics was, uh, it was a feast. Not necessarily a feast where we loved every single, you know, every single bite, every single meal every single item, but by and large, I feel full. And we're going to feel a lot more full tomorrow when our bellies are what's full on Thanksgiving. Wow. Wow. You guys personally cooking anything? Got anything planned? I I am not a cook. I have okay. no talent at all. <laughs> I have not applied myself in that realm, but I am uh, lucky enough and thankful to have a girlfriend who is actually Hell an incredible yeah. cook. So she's going to be uh, really doing a lot of work in the kitchen. We're going to have family over and stuff like that. So it's going to be a good time. 
making some, I'm trying to make stuffing this year. I'm, I want to learn how to make a really good stuffing because that's my favorite part of Dude. anything. It's, that's like the thing to do. And I, I always do the, um, not the, not the hamburger helper, the stove, uh, was it stovetop? Stovetop. Yeah. 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 That's just like, it's the still thing. good. It's, it's great, but I want to do, I want my, you know, like my stuffing and I want to iterate on it and be like, this is the thing that every year that somebody's going to be thinking about and be like, oh, we're going to go where? We're going to whose house? Oh, is Marco going to cook it? Do you think he's going to cook his thing? I want that to be the reputation I have on my, on my stuffing. Well, you need to start it now. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, yeah. The, the bread. And then I'm going to, well, we actually moved, <laughs> we actually moved our um, Thanksgiving with the family because my grandma got sick, somebody else got sick, and they're just not feeling well. So we moved it to Sunday. So I have a few extra days, but I'm getting the bread now. I'm going to let it dry like air dry all that i'm i'm, I'm going in tyler i'm excited dude i watched a a super cut of the binging with bobbish uh thanksgiving themes that he put out mm. um and there's like multiple stuffing recipes in it and like the key is like let it stale yep otherwise you got to yep. toast it but staling is the best way to do it um uh yeah. the epicurious did a a recent episode on it so i was, I was just looking at that one and i want to iterate off of that that one man i should send you some sean i know you say you're not you don't have a, a a talent in the kitchen, but sometimes watch these things it makes you want to give it a go. Nothing ever has. And also, it's like it's like um, it's like foreplay for the stomach watching this, you know. <laughs> get a little tease. Yeah, get the, a little the, get, get a little grumble going. The term food porn is quite literal. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying. I'm doing a Brussels sprouts. Right? I'm doing. I'm working on vegetables tomorrow. That's what I'm doing. I was going to do, like, an umami uh, Brussels sprout thing. Um, but, like, my recipe called for, like, fish sauce. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I was making this for the people who can't eat meat. I can't put uh, some form of meat in there. So, uh, What's that meat? It's it's literally juice. I mean, it's not meat, but it's fish juice squeezed from a fish. So, Tyler, is your is your family gathering tomorrow? It's, it's we're going to be doing stuff tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it's a little up in the air this year because of, uh, um, some family things going on, but, um, so it was kind of like last minute, like, Oh, okay. We're, we're, we are actually doing it tomorrow. Like I only got the confirmation like yesterday. Um, but I will be cooking something. Um, I love cooking. I just don't like cooking for myself. So Thanksgiving mm. gives me that out. You know, I'm having a Friendsgiving with some friends on over the weekend as well. So I'm going to be doing some more cooking then. That's my stuffing day. Uh, that's my. Uh, I think I might be doing stuffing and the stuffing of of dessert, which is bread pudding. Um, so I'm doing doing double breads. Maybe a cocktail recipe. too. Yeah, send me that recipe. Which one? Which one you're using? I'm I'm curious. Oh yeah, yeah. There, I I do a stuffing that's uh, like an herbed uh, sausage, uh, rosemary and sage. Yeah. Sage yeah, is like the integral ingredient for Thanksgiving. Um, bit of rosemary in in that in, in that binging bobbish thing which is a great youtube channel that you should check out um he essentially does recipes from shows or movies and he makes it based on how he thinks they would have made it and then he makes it good yeah, um yeah so it's it's like weird stuff like that um he did a turducken right he did a tur he did a he did from how i met your mother he did the tur turkey key tur turkey key yeah which is a turkey shoved in another turkey um 
which which was the most graphic looking cooking thing I've ever seen. It looked quite graphic. <laughs> what's, your, what's your question, Sean? <laughs> what the fuck did you just say? Why would you stuff a turkey yeah. into another turkey? It was yeah. from How I Met Your Mother. He also agreed that it was a dumb idea. Because when, when you stuff a turkey you, and you want to cook everything at once, none of it's going to be cooked correctly. Like turducken, vile thing. But will never be done correctly. I, I can't get past that. I really can't. <laughs> I when I first heard it. about turducken, it was probably 20 years ago. And it was actually from uh, Harris, who's in our community. Who blew my mind by telling me that that existed? I didn't. I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" It's a foreign concept to me. It's a, it's a Seinfeld reference, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Have, have Isn't you it a thing? Had... I I thought it was a thing because of uh, Seinfeld. No, that was my understanding. Now I'm googling. Now I'm curious. I can only think of Kramer when he turns into that uh, turkey in the when George is looking at the. The deli counter or something like that. Yeah. You guys ever eat fried turkey? I've always no. wanted to try it. Mm-mm. I would like to. Everywhere, everywhere I see, it's like this is the best way to eat turkey, but it's just a pain in the ass to do, and highly dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because you unfreeze it. No, no. the The issue is uh, uh, boil over an oil oil fire oh, is the issue because oh, okay. you had to boil it whole. Like the whole turkey in a giant tub of oil, um, and you can get mechanism for it, like a like a latch and a hook to pull it out. But the issue that people run into is that they don't know about water displacement or liquid displacement, <laughs> so yeah. the oil then boils over, and then it gets into a fire. And now you have an oil fire, uh, and you did that outside of your garage, which now your garage is on fire. Oh wait, your whole house is on fire, um, or even just. Because there's a hollow part of a turkey, the oil can splatter out of it because it's filling those air holes. Um, it's just dangerous. Inquisitor Drace does it though every year, so at least they've they've got it uh, under control. No thanks. I'm in an apartment, dude. I can't do it. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah. You I should... hope I can try that one day. Oh, I want to try it so I bad. Would, yeah. yeah. I think Popeyes. I saw a commercial. They're 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 they've got turkey on tap. Uh, this year, yeah, I saw somebody do it on Instagram. You could buy a turkey really? from Popeyes, mm-hmm. um, and it has cooking instructions on it with like spices and stuff. Yeah. No way. <laughs> Wait, you gotta cook it? You, yeah, you. It's it's just yeah. It's not. You have to do. The, oh the hell no! Work. No, I want to no, go to the on. restaurant and order some turkey. No, hold on. It says okay. Popeyes Cajun style turkey is pre cooked and hand rubbed with Louisiana seasoning. You you just have to reheat it, but you have to oh. do it oven and all that stuff like remove packaging reserve juices it's a whole process keep it on for an hour and a half you're cooking it what's <laughs> but it's like it's made it's it's already ready yeah. to be to be yeah. cooked to be warmed up yeah, it's probably like pre-brined and all that stuff mm. nice. Man. it's like a hundred bucks oh yo Wow. I mean, Marco, you said this in the chat before we started the show, but like, I'm not a big turkey guy. It's fine. It's like an okay yeah, bird. It's, it's it fine. can be dry. It's hard to get. It's hard to get moist. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. And even when it is, it's okay. I'm not adding as much flavor as compared to like something like a chicken or pork. 
It's a dumb bird, too. They've been known to drown themselves uh, <laughs> by looking up when it rains. Like, legit. I love turkey. Um, I think it's great. It's not always the most flavorful thing in the world, yeah. but I don't know. I'm into it. Especially, like, uh, leftovers, man. Leftover turkey and stuff. Oh, that's, like, almost better than Thanksgiving Day. When you, when you let it all sit there and mix... Mm-hmm. The panini, I talked about this on a Pound Round, but not on the main show. Um, That's right. Putting all your leftovers between two pieces of bread and then just grilling that or, or pressing it on a pan, like making it a hot sandwich and then like dipping in some cranberry or gravy. Like that's where it's at. Hmm. Never thought to do that. I'm thankful to Tyler for all these uh... – recipe and ideas because uh, when, when we had that conversation you blew my mind or if you have leftover mashed potatoes put them in a waffle iron <gasps> whoa yeah i hate leftovers so i have to figure out ways of making it feel like i'm not eating the same food <laughs> capsule says i'm italian every time i ask for turkey i just get more lasagna <laughs> damn bro it's a good problem to have could do worse yeah what's everybody's uh thanksgiving plans chat what do you guys what do you guys got going on for thanksgiving are you gonna be reading comics hmm. Ooh. Okay. i'm gonna be playing some music at my thanksgiving on a, a loop of uh, spongebob background music to see how quickly people can recognize it oh the first song i mean sure but it's gonna be in the background you might not even know it the, the luau music it's good tracks. My my uncle's actually going to be in the, the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He's going to be uh, one of the balloon holders for Pikachu. So I'm going to be watching that tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Luffy's going to be there. Luffy's going to be there. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Ooh. Luffy and right. Bluey? Yeah. I don't know who Bluey is. Uh, all right. Well, Thanksgiving is going to be, hopefully, a great day for all of us. Um. Thank you all for listening. Hopefully your Thanksgiving is phenomenal. Um, fill your bellies. You know, fill your minds with some good comics, hopefully, uh, if, you, if you are so inclined to use your time that way. Uh, we're going to use our time with our families. But we will be back on Saturday for the main show, of course, which you can tune into live on YouTube.com slash The Comics Pals at 10.15 a.m. Eastern. Watch this very show. 6 p.m. Thursdays uh, every single week. Vote in the listener pick poll. You guys did a pretty good job this week voting for Batman Offworld. Um, last week, though, was not it. So you guys uh, you guys are, are a little iffy, but uh, hopefully we can keep the trend of good comics being picked. <laughs> so head on over there tomorrow or Thursday or, geez, Friday. I'm sorry. Time is weird um, to vote. And the listener pick poll. What was the pick poll last week, Sean? Oh man, uh, I've already erased it from my memory. But outsiders, outsiders. Yeah. yo, and you oh, guys, I wasn't, I wasn't there. Okay, yeah, that's true. And, and you guys messed up because we had Green Lantern War Journal number three this week. We had Dracula number two. Y'all wanted Batman off. Well, I thought it was good though. Well, yeah, we liked it. Two out of three of us were very into it, which is good enough around these parts. Yeah. Patreon.com slash the comics pals to support your boys if you enjoy what we do. We appreciate everybody who does that and joins us over there. Just give it a look. Uh, I'm sure that if you are someone who enjoys what we do, 
there will be things on the other side there for you. And uh, I say the same thing about the channel membership. Thank you to everybody who has supported that new movement over here. Uh, you guys are great. And um, yeah, thank you all so much. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you that celebrate. Until next time, take care, guys. See you next week. <laughs>